0: Hey, I'm, I'm Jeff. Thayer. Ben. Thayer. I'm Ben. Hi, Jeff. Uh, no, I'm, I'm...
1: <sighs> Ben. Just, just do, do it. The, just do okay, the I'm, thing.
0: So, I'm sorry. Uh, hey, this is Ben Jeff and Thayer, and we host a podcast called
1: "Convince Me," where we have guests on to try to convince us to get on board with their unique obsessions. Check out our podcast. It's called "Convince Me." I'm Jeff.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Improv Obsession Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pearlstein. Today, one of the most requested guests I've ever had, Miles Strath. Uh, Quick thanks to the newest Improv Obsession hero, Nick Luciano. Nick, thanks for kicking in some bones to keep the show around for everybody. It's much appreciated. Hey, when are we going to party again, man? Um, Also, quick thanks to the recent reviews in iTunes from Dan1492 uh i appreciate the support uh review the show on itunes guys uh why because i'm still holding on to the matt walsh episode and uh it's pretty great everybody told me that ian roberts one, one was one of the best episodes they ever heard and i bet you the matt walsh episode is probably the same um all right guys let's do the show
1: How do you open this? Trick? Um, oh, there's a little tab on the side, one
0: side. You pull it off. There it is. There you go. That popped off right, and now you can pop the cap.
1: All right. <laughs> I think I broke the wrong side. Maybe.
0: I believe you, got I believe in you. Let me see this. All right, let me get this
1: is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> there, there we go. We did it. We did it. <laughs> the whole podcast.
0: No, not that. Not that. Not that. Ah, fuck. Fuck. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Improv Obsession podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Perlstein. Today, special guest on the show, Miles Strath. Miles, hello. Hello. Uh, how are you doing today, man? I'm
1: doing all right for me. Good.
0: All right for you? Yes. It's a good qualifier. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that. I like that a lot. Um. So. Uh, I have uh, a million things to talk to you about today, Uh, but let's uh, let's kind of dive in with uh, a little bit of backstory because you have a long and storied one, I believe. Uh, So I kind of want to hear about uh, just your start getting into improv, like how what was kind of the first few things, like where you got started doing improv.
1: Well, I started back when I was about twenty-one years old, twenty twenty-one. I started taking classes at the Players Workshop in Chicago, which was the preschool training center uh, for their program. Uh, I was there for about six months, and then I was hit by a car, which broke both my legs and laid me up for a year and a half. And in that time, because when I was at the Players Workshop, I was just kind of messing around, trying to do something with my life. Uh, And in that time, I decided that long hiatus of being having casts up to my nuts. I uh, decided I would want to do this, then I would try and skip the player's workshop and go right to the Second City Training Center. Right. So I actually had a high school director, uh, James Eitram, wrote me a letter to Second City saying that I had taken a bunch of classes that I hadn't taken so that they would let me audition for their training center. Uh, So they let me audition for their training center and I got in. And that's when I started the Second City Training Center. Uh, I was there for two years. Got my T-shirt.
0: Uh, <laughs> you get a T-shirt after completing the program?
1: Yeah, you get a, They give you a T-shirt Sweet. at the end. Sweet. You still got it? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't know what else to do. And there was a guy in my class who said it was Ben, someone. He said, "Let's go over this improv, is improv- Olympic. They got this guy Del Close. Uh, and I didn't know who he was." And I was like, "All oh, right," so I went over there. And back then, they were at Chow, uh, this restaurant bar in Chicago, and I signed up for that class. When they right, when they were moving from Chow to Pop Milanos, the basement of Pop Milanos, and that's when I started classes at the Improv Olympic, now IO Chicago. Right. Uh, I was I was there for a while. I got put on a team right away because I could sing. was a lot of people who could sing. I wasn't very good though. I used to turn everything into a song. This is a crutch. Uh, <laughs> I eventually, you know, I started to get better and I got put on a team called, that was originally called the Victim's Family. Uh, and that team was slowly pieced apart and fell apart and people pulled away. Uh, I was the only guy on the team who stayed on the team until it became the Victim's Family that was me and Rick Roman and Ali Faranakian and Adam McKay and Matt Besser and Ian Roberts and then Rick Roman who drove a cab uh, drove his cab into the river and died so it was kind of bittersweet to keep calling ourselves the victim's family Uh, so that's when we dropped the victim and we just became the family Right. Uh, after that we had Pete Holney was on there for a while and then we picked up Neil Flynn and then Pete Holney dropped off and then that combination, which is me, Neil Flynn, Adam McKay, Ali Faranaki and Matt Besser, Ian Roberts, that's it's sort of like the family of note that created the deconstruction in the movie and did three mad rituals and got Dell off his ass and <laughs> brought him back into the game and helped kind of put Improv Olympic Improv Olympic in Chicago on the map. Yeah, um, the, fam- the room downstairs in Chicago is called the Family Room because uh, we basically built that house. Uh, built a house that enabled China to buy her own building right and from there I kept doing improv well everyone else turned improv into other things that made them money <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right
1: <laughs> that's a pretty that's, g- that's good that's pretty really clean good. synopsis of how I got here
0: clean is a great way to put it uh <laughs> Uh, because I, I feel like I've heard a lot of those stories with uh, embellishments uh, around uh, thoughts about the players' workshop in Second City uh, and Sharna and Dell. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> we can
1: skip some of those. <laughs> oh, well, you mean what I o- otherwise might say about some sure, of those Sure, yeah, things? yeah, yeah. Yeah, we can skip some of that. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, so... It's. Not, it does sound like it took you uh, a good a good amount of time being uh, involved in improv uh, until uh, there was any real traction for it. I mean, it's not like you know you had you had the players players workshop Second City, uh, which uh, even in even in the abbreviated story doesn't sound like you had a lot of. Uh, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't
1: really learn how to improvise. I certainly didn't learn how to improvise the players workshop. I didn't. Second City's Training Center was more improv for sketch, right? uh, which is fine. I just, it, I wasn't particularly interested in that Uh, when I started learning improv at the Improv Olympic and learned it was just, the main thing that really drew me in was that anything you were good at counted. Anything you knew counted. No matter what place you came from, no matter what you knew, what you didn't know, it all counted. It was all equally valid. Uh... So I was, you know, growing up, I was kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. Mm -hmm. Uh, In improv, that's good. I mean, you can use all trades; it's all useful. You you don't have to specialize. Sure. So that's really what drew me in initially.
0: Yeah. Uh, That's interesting. I do. uh, I feel the same way a lot, and I don't feel like I've ever heard anybody say that, and that's nice because I feel like a lot. Like I'm just kind of like I'm not like amazing at anything. I can do a lot of stuff pretty okay, you know. Right. Uh, and it's it's uh, it's a weird feeling because you'll see somebody just do uh, some things like amazing, You're like, well, fuck, everything's awful. <laughs> I'm awful. <laughs> what am I doing? Uh, but I like that. Um, but it does. But it sounded like it sounded like you had it like time like attraction in that like. Did you, like, did you enjoy it up until, like, Dell I.O.? Like, I mean, were you, it's, you you stuck with it for a, a good period of time. Like, oh, that's, I that's always nothing. enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, you're surrounded by basically, you know, people with good senses of humor trying to pursue something. Uh, and I never really expected anything to come of it. It was more just something I did because I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I knew at one point that I was going to be doing it for the rest of my life, and I knew that long before I was any good. Uh, When was that? It was actually back when I was beginning at the I.O. And I I had talent or some skills, but I I, I wasn't really getting it. I wasn't very good when I started. Uh, And actually, it was Susan Messing who just happened to say to me one time, well, the first thing you have to do is decide that you belong. And that can mean different things, but it was as it happens, it hit me like a like a brick in that moment. It just in, in that moment what that meant to me was I belonged up there. I belonged in the process, I belonged trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I knew that I did. I knew that I eventually would get it. I'm just like, I do belong up there, I do belong. So that meant that it didn't matter anymore how successful or unsuccessful any given moment was because the process is endless. I I see it as, in relation to that that quote about genius is measured across a lifetime. Yeah. Uh, It's like, so no matter, and and, and I still view improv like that. It's like the time you spend on stage is really the least interesting part of your process. Uh, People tend to think that's when they get better, and that's that's what it's all about. I'm saying, well, that's just, that's the least amount of time of your process that you spent. It's like half hour a week, you're on stage in front of people. (laughs) What about the other, you know, six hours a day you're thinking about it? or studying it yeah. or, you know, thinking about it some more or practicing it or taking a class. Yeah. Or spending all this time training your brain. Yeah. Just to get on stage and react for 30 minutes.
0: If you're practicing a fair amount, it seems like statistically your best scenes will happen in practice. Uh, I feel like, at least for me personally, I feel like some of my best scenes have just been like, well, that's too bad. It's too bad nobody saw that. <laughs> That'd
1: be a great thing to... I don't, I, I, I don't think that's true for me. No. But I, I like that you're just saying it all the time, just so that, like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you, the best stuff I've ever done, I was in practice. The stuff weird. I do out there is garbage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it, but Same. really, I'm much better than, than a, even that. I have a <laughs> whole wine <laughs>
0: reserve of good improv scenes for myself. Uh, all right, that's fair. You're probably right. Uh, so so you decided to go on, and then... Uh, I, it, can you tell me a little bit about studying with Dell? just because... Um, it seems like you and Dell uh, had a, uh, a very close relationship, or if "close" isn't the right word, uh, important in improv relationship.
1: You know what I mean? I don't think that Dell and I had a particularly close relationship. Uh, Dell, I think everyone knows the story of the first words I ever heard Dell say. It's been written up and in other stuff. But I'll say it again very quickly. is when The first class I took with Dell, I was sitting there waiting to hear him say whatever he was going to say first. And he stood there on stage, cleared his throat. And when he was about to speak, a really hot waitress walked behind the class because we were in the basement of a restaurant. And she walked over to the stairs and up the stairs and into the restaurant. Her, his eyes followed her all the way across and up the stairs. And then he turned to us and grinned and said, well, she was pretty enough to kill. I thought in, in that moment I was like I'm in, <laughs> I'm in whatever this guy says next I'm in because that was wonderfully awful. Yeah, uh, Dell was not a it was Dell was the first teacher who like I learned something the first day in class. I mean I just uh, I did a scene where I played this enormous character, this enormous blowout you know Chris Farley esque character, and Dell just sort of stopped was, What the hell? What the hell are you doing? I'm playing. I was supposed to be a father and the son camping. Mm-hmm. I'm playing, you know, a big character, big father character. You know, stop it. You know, okay. He's like, just that's not. No one believes that. That's not real. Uh, and I was like, okay. He's like, just be real. You know, just, what would you do? I, don't know, I teach him how to build a fire. I was like, all right, do that. So I just very, you know, in my mind, plainly and realistically explained to the other player as my son how to build a fire. Yeah. And I was like, all right. At least I believe that. You know, two more. But the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the lesson was in, in that class, you know, play more real. Be more real. Uh, Dell didn't have a lot of specific lessons that he would give you. Dell, what made Dell such uh, an incredible teacher was that he was one of the few people I ever met in my life who was able to consistently, occasionally, truly inspire. Uh, Dell would come in and Dell was just fascinating. He was a crazy. You know, he thought he was a witch. He was a recovering heroin addict. Uh, he, his whole history with you know, Belushi and Second City and the Compass Players and just the stories he could tell and the things he thought of. He read everything. I mean, he was just an interesting guy. And he would come in and just tell you what he was thinking about. He would come in some days to tell you a dream he had and what he thought about it. And it was just in him telling it, somewhere in there was the lesson. Somewhere in his story was the lesson that you had to find. He wouldn't tell you a specific lesson. He would come in and say, I was walking over here and there's a building burning down. And some people had gathered to, to watch it. And I stopped. and There I was among, among them just watching this building burn. I couldn't help but think of cavemen standing on the edge of a field watching a forest burn in the distance knowing that it meant life and I wondered if that was part of us still that's why we stop and stare when something burns and I was like that's just fucking interesting that's, <laughs> an, inter- that's an interesting thought yeah uh, but he would finish saying something like that So right, you know, do something with that <laughs> get on stage and be inspired by that yeah uh <clears throat> nowadays I actually know more about because I was always pretty good at knowing what at, uh, by the end, by the last few years I, I was pretty good at knowing what Dell wanted because I'd listened to him for so long I was like, because I would listen to the stories and i like, oh I see what he's going after, I know what he's going after uh, and a lot of it is what actually what I just kind of more recently in the past year or so started uh, weaving into my own teaching which is Playing what's evoked, right and to me, it's like Dell was evoking something when he when he would tell a story, uh, and he had to kind of key into that. Like, what is the thing he's talking about? What is the thing that stirs in you when you hear this? Yeah. But he could consistently. I mean, I could, you just like when when the family and Dell came up with the movie and the deconstruction. The movie was kind of an idea that Dell had in the back of his mind for a while. It was really just the idea of improvising a movie. Uh, how to do it wasn't clear and we didn't wind up doing it I think the way he envisioned it uh Dad always wanted it to be more poetic I believe wanted to be more artful and in transition and description I think he always wanted improv to be more theatrical in that way uh we were we did some of that but our strength was speed yeah uh and so what we wanted to turning the movie into was a speed piece uh, where it was actually trying to do the techniques fast enough so that they didn't overtake the story you were telling. Uh, they didn't overwhelm the story you were telling. So it's really, I mean, we care, not that. The deconstruction was basically, we didn't want to do openings. <laughs> and so the idea is, you know, can we just do something else for an opening? Can we just do a scene for an opening? And just yeah. See how many ideas we can get for that. And the, I mean, I teach it very complicated. I teach the, the deconstruction the way I lay it out as a lesson plan for students. Yeah. The deconstruction we did was basically, here, do a scene that's interesting, and then see how many different ways you can be inspired by it. Right. That was pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, So that was the team that came up with that, that really, what it was, it was us that came up with it. Uh, Dell never specifically said, here's how you do it. I I remember we had rehearsals, the first few months of rehearsals, Dell would come into the room and lay on a table in the back of the room, kind of not wanting to be there, say, all right, do something. And we'd start trying to do stuff, and sometimes he'd lay there for a while, sometimes he'd get up and leave, sometimes he'd get up and say something. It was, you know, insanity, but it was basically... It was. It was. We kept working. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, I don't know what to think of any of that.
1: It's uh. <laughs> all <laughs> I was like, didn't. Me and Dell had a close relationship. Like I never, I never like hung out at Dell's house, or I, I had maybe, maybe a two or three dinners with Dell at Salt and Pepper next door. We had a c- couple interesting conversations. One about, you know, Plato, and one about. at the the end of his when he was in the hospital I went there one day and we were talking about poetry Uh, but that was and that was when he called me the war chief but that was just because uh, Del always saw improv as a tribe sure and he considered himself the mojo man yeah and Sharna the high priestess Uh, and he decided there to call me the war chief just because I was on a cage match team that had defeated pretty much everyone in town at the time, yeah, uh, but I don't I don't put a whole lot I mean I don't put, it's, it's nice I don't put a whole lot of weight into that,
0: interesting, okay, fair enough, yeah, I was gonna I was just about to say, yeah, it seems like uh uh at the very least, it sounded like he had nice things to say about you, uh, and it sounded and I feel like I've heard you say nice things about
1: him as well, oh yeah, I mean it, 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 he came what he came and saw. I was doing a show in Chicago, someone else's one-man show, called The Male Intellect and Oxymoron. It's a scripted hour and a half show. Uh, awesome. I didn't want to see it. this as being Dell's kind of humor or anything. Yeah. Uh, it's like a really well-crafted show for the audience that it, it appeals to. Uh, but Dell and Sharna came over and saw it, and Dell was just really impressed with the fact that I could do it. Uh, although he did boo me in my outro, <laughs> because it was Christmas, and there was a charity bucket. In the uh, out, out front. Mm-hmm. So, my front best is saying, thanks for coming. And in the spirit of holidays, we have a donation bucket. And as soon as I mentioned donation bucket, you're for a charity out front. Yeah, oh, boo, dude. boo. <laughs> and he's throwing <laughs> me. And it's clear as a bell that it's him. Oh, he's me. Oh, man. <laughs> it was funny. That's so insane I was, I, was I was doing that show the night he died. And I got a call from I had just left the hospital after he had pretty much disappeared. Yeah. I got a call like an hour later from Sharna saying that he had passed and I was, you know, about 15 minutes from going on stage. So I I did that show the the night he died. Wow. And it was funny when I went on stage that night, actually, it was really fresh in my mind. Uh, That show begins with me sitting in darkness uh, and right as the music dies and before the first sound cue goes up, I just said, this one's for you, Dell. Uh, and it got a laugh. I have no idea why I got a laugh, but it got a laugh. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I guess the that funny. <laughs>
0: that's interesting.
1: Uh,
0: it feels like you learned... Uh, it, okay, it feels like learning improv now uh, is much more... Um, maybe, like, with kids' gloves or something. Like, it sounds like that's hard to learn improv like that. Uh, in, in that like way. What? Like... Uh, Somebody laying on a table and then telling you a story about (coughs) a fire
1: and then be like, do something. Uh, That's how you learn improv. You don't learn improv. People like, you know, I took classes, the the, the two teachers that I really credit with doing anything are really like Del Close and Mick Napier. Yeah. You know, Del taught me to think and try and be more inspired, and Mick taught me that. I was absolutely free. Uh, everyone else, you know, there's was, there was a lot. There's a lot of, you know, kind of here's kind of lessons, kind of doing it. You learn improv by hanging out with people, like the, you hang out with people. The, the t- I learned improv from the family. I learned how to improvise by hanging out with those guys, by playing with those guys, by drinking with those guys, by fighting with those guys. Uh, that's the, the people that surrounded me was with how I learned how to, to improvise the constant interaction with them in the pursuit of it and that's what pe- that's how people are learning how to improvise you see teams that get together uh, and when they find a, a way to stay together and hang out together and sort of just keep at it they get better faster yeah uh, you know, I'm a I consider myself. I, I think I'm a unique instructor. That I have a very, I have very specific lessons plans, uh, but they're also ultimately all geared toward helping someone think about improvisation, uh, so they can train themselves. Because ultimately, that's what you're going to do. You're going to get better on your own, thinking about it, talking about it with others, hanging out with people who do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a matter of you know, can I help you get there faster?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, that's it. Okay. 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 Well. We'll touch on. I'll get back to the learning stuff because there's a lot there. Uh, but also, so like you, uh, so the family. You feel like you you learned uh, improv from them. Uh, had a good run building that up uh, at Io West. Uh and then it feels like you had like a long, a, f- a fairly long life with IO. Or sorry, IO Improv Olympic, not Io West. Uh But it feels like you had like a long run with IO, uh, like in that system. Is that you, you, you laugh, laugh at everything
1: I say, which is perfect. <laughs> well, it's, 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 uh, I had a long run with I.O. Oh. Sure. No? I didn't do anything. I didn't get any, I, didn't, I mean, uh, <coughs> I was, uh, the family did what they did at their peak in about a year and a half. Really? Right? We yeah. we, we did three med rituals, and then we followed it with Dynamite Fun Nest. We built a great big house f- for Sharna. Uh, and then... That was at a time when when Second City had a new director, Kelly Leonard, uh, who recognized that the city was like sort of backlogged with talent. I mean, at that point in Chicago, probably 50 of the greatest players that had ever played were not getting hired by anyone. Yeah. Uh, because Second City kind of had an in-house thing going on prior to that. But Kelly Leonard opened the doors and just started hiring everyone. Prior to that, it took, you know... Years to get to the main stage, right? It took years of to hanging out and kissing ass and you know whatever to get to the to the main stage. Uh, not that everyone who did that before them was that. There were some great people that came before that, but it was very political prior to that. Uh, but I'd say forty or fifty of the best players in Chicago burned through that place in about two to four years. Yeah, all the way through the stages and off to other jobs. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of a, I was a purist, which is, I, I, I say purist in terms of fool. I, I was a fool. Uh, I, was, I, I was angry at, Sec- I, I had an anger for Second City because the last audition I was at, at Second City for their touring company, they auditioned literally 50 of the best players I've ever seen and then hired two of the waiters, n- neither of whose names you would know. <laughs> uh, but you would know everyone else's name. Sure. Uh, and I was like, "Screw that place." But that was right. Before that unfortunately, that, that happened right after that. Kelly Leonard took over and just opened the doors. But I had a sort of us falling out with the second city, and decided I wasn't going to go there. Uh, and I was going to help Sean open the IO instead. And so I did. I stuck around. I, I first couple years, of the IO, I ran the entire building, uh, and I put up shows and I did shows there. And I was the I was the one who stayed. Uh, I was I wasn't going to do, turn turn my art form into something profitable. Uh, it's, it was, it's funny because it was, it was stupid guy. I spent you know twenty years, you know, n- not turning what I could do into something that would make me money. Mm-hmm. That's why I tell my students I'm like write, also be a writer. That's what like a lot of my friends anyway some are also performers on shows and stuff like that but it's like no, no one has gotten rich just improvising Yeah, uh, they've gotten rich because they turned the skills they developed from improvising into something that made them money um, so saying I had a long run at that place where I made no money I'm like yeah you're right I yeah. did have a long run at that place uh, I don't see that as a great thing you seemed
0: contemptuous for yourself at that time.
1: Oh, I was, I was, I was foolish, because it's, it's like I tell my students, it's like I was being, I was this sort of, you know, thirty-year-old artistic moron who so basically, yeah, I'm not going to do that. That would belittle my craft. Like even, I, if, if I, as if, as if, if I wrote a sketch, I would somehow not then also still be an improviser. You sure? uh or just being an improviser should tell you that that's not true it's like you can be everything and you're still an improviser right uh so I was I was I was just foolish in that uh the the good part about I mean if if there's a a silver lining in that is I know a lot about improv uh like a lot of the guys who've moved on done other things like well they've moved on done other things all I've been doing is improv thinking about improv teaching I've been teaching improv now for 20 years yeah uh non-stop yeah. and not settling my lessons change my my understanding I like to think is still evolving
0: yeah uh, I love that I really do uh, so can we can we talk about you leaving I.L. West like because you were teaching there uh, you're doing shows there fairly
1: regularly oh yeah well, it, was, it was just a matter of well the teaching was well, because they weren't paying me enough yeah uh, plus, I was you know I wasn't getting to teach exactly what I wanted. I was getting notes from people who shouldn't have been giving me notes, uh, and you know they made a deal with me that they didn't honor. So I left. Sure. And as far as you know the shows, I I have nothing against doing shows at IO. I just uh, the one I was I just don't I have no desired to currently I have no there's, there's no show I have no show running there currently yeah uh, and I have my own place going now so I it's funny because I remember I'm so much smaller right now but it's just like, I remember you know, a few years back when the, the UCB was out here mm-hmm. and they were at the IO IO West yeah and they asked Sean to give them the weekend like just give us the weekend so we can have those two nights to do our shows put up our stuff yeah uh, Jarna said, no. Yeah. It's like, okay, so we'll just go open the most successful club in Los Angeles. How's that? <laughs> Is that better? It's yeah. like, okay. It's like, you know, me, it's like, I, you, 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 you don't want to pay me what, you know, basically half of what I bring in? It's just like, okay, well then I'll take all of what I bring in. And guess what? I bring in a lot, apparently. Yeah. Uh... Yeah. So I, so I did that. And that's 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 going well. Yeah.
0: Um. All right. So let's then let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Milestroth Workshop. So, uh, how long has that actually been around? Because that's not clear to me entirely.
1: I'd say about five years. About five years. I mean, I've been teaching on my own in outside of IO. Even when I was teaching at IO, I was teaching outside of IO uh, for years but the Miles Stroth workshop, as we now understand it, let's say say five years.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Okay, Um, and it seems like you have a a very specific focus on what you teach, Uh, and you also have a couple teachers who maybe aren't exactly
1: the same, Uh, but we can, right? Yeah, they're not the same at all. That's that's purposeful. Right. Uh, There's some similarity, but my idea was just I wanted to teach what I know about how I think about a scene how I think about a piece uh, I want to give you know smaller classes more individual attention because uh, to me I remember when I started teaching it was a risk to say stuff to someone about like being wrong on stage like how can you tell someone they're wrong about a comedic improvisational move right it's it, it's, it's taste it's you know it's it can't be it's, no it can be you can say it's wrong You can. there are reasons why uh but I mean, because I can teach probably at every level or kind of improvisation. I focus on what I think is not otherwise out there and what I think I'm best at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's simple, and it's complex, uh, and it's very learnable, and it's exactly what I do on stage. And I like the fact that I can demonstrate it over and over and over again in class. Yeah. Uh, just like I'm, here's what I'm doing. I'm doing exactly what I'm. I explain exactly what I'm doing, and then I do it, and it works. Right. Um, Heather came along, and I said, you know, want, you know, want to teach a class because Heather's just, you know, incredibly talented. Uh, she said, no, I hate teaching. <laughs> she says that all the time so I hate. I hate it. I just hate it. Uh, which is probably why she's great at it. Uh, but Heather's very different from me. Heather has never learned the stuff as, as as I explain it. Yeah, she has a complete a completely unique point of view on it. Uh, but she's one of the best players I've ever known. Uh, and like Emily is the opposite of me. Emily basically in her first day of class says something to the effect of you know well fuck Miles first of all. Now I'm going to show you how you how to improvise. It's like because she's basically the annoyance style. Yeah. She's freedom. She's self-empowerment. She's, you know, making strong choices, strong moves, uh, holding on to stuff, taking care of yourself. Uh, and the fact is, I still do that. I just do it right after I've very quickly taken care of the other person on stage. Right. Uh, which cracked me up about McNapier's book. I read McNapier's book. And that's literally, I think, the first improv book that I ever read all the way through. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a good book. Uh, yes, yeah. A lot of them are crap, uh, but that book was good. Uh, and I noticed in it that there was one paragraph in it that addressed the question: "What if somebody else goes first And the answer, because basically the whole book is about, you know, here's how you empower yourself, here's how you make choices, here's, you know, uh, what, what, what if somebody else goes first? You're like, well, you you, you 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 grab something anyway. <laughs> basically, that, that was it. Yeah. Uh, and like, and there's like the difference between like. That school and my way of thinking is like, and you know from having been there, almost my entire class is when someone else goes first. Here's what you do. Yeah. It's like how do you listen? Uh, My class is mostly about how do you listen on stage. Uh, Because I I I spend little time. I spend some time, but very little on you know how do you start a scene? How do you do that? It's like what do you do when it all starts? You know you take you listen for what you're supposed to do. Right. Uh, Just the complete opposite, and that's Emily, and she's great at it. Um, yeah. So,
0: okay. So let's uh, can we can we talk a little bit about uh, position play and stuff like that? Is that all right? With you? Sure. Great. Um, so yeah. So the, the the main focus I felt a lot, obviously in class, was a, this position play thing. And yeah, like you said, you listen, uh, you listen for what you're supposed to do. Uh, and you define, kind of, define that as position or Actually, if I can remember the, the hierarchy of operations a little bit better, uh, it's trying to figure out what the type of scene is, because you feel like there's four basic scene types and a, five, a fifth secret one.
1: Uh, the fifth one wasn't a scene
0: type, it was a device. Sure. Uh, you call it a secret type of scene. So, I mean, I was just listening. So, I was just doing the right thing. You just quoted the hell out of me. Uh, oh, I try. Uh, uh, <laughs> I got I got it mostly right. <laughs> uh so but yeah, you kinda you kind of uh you figure out the type of scene that you're doing and then what you're supposed to do in the scene that position. Um is
1: that fair? That's fair. Okay. I can say it more cleanly if you'd like. I'd love it. Uh <laughs> all scenes can be seen as one of four primary scene types. Uh straight absurd, character driven, alternate reality slash story, or realistic. Right. Uh they don't have to strictly be one scene type, the scene types can overlap. Uh Knowing that gives you a way to understand any scene you look at, a way to take it apart, a way to examine it for its success or its failure. At the top of a scene, when someone starts a scene, usually in the first line, I can hear the scene type and my position within that scene, which means I already have built in to my reaction an understanding of the type of scene I'm in and my basic job in that scene. Mm which focuses my invention, which makes the scene relatively easy to play.
0: Right. Uh, So, uh, what I find interesting about uh, position play more than anything is it's like, it does feel almost like a mathematical process to you, uh, and, and at least in the setting up of a scene.
1: In the understanding of the scene, yes, it's absolutely a mathematical process. It's a piecing it apart to here's what it breaks down to. Right. In actual reality, it's just a reaction. Yeah. It's just being in the moment and reacting. The math of it is training that reaction. Right. Uh, you do the exercise off stage. So, you, I mean, the last thing I basically say before I go on stage is the show's in front of me. I'm basically saying, fuck it to everything I've ever thought about. I'm going to walk on stage and trust my reaction, whatever it is. Right. And go with it. Just be in the moment and trust my reaction, whatever it is. The training is training your reaction, right? Because uh, I don't think all the things I just described at the top of a scene. Sure. Someone will say something, and it's built into my reaction. All that thinking, right? So that the first thing, so that in hearing it, I, I, I automatically know all those things. I right. don't have to think about it. Uh, and you, and y- you can do it more and more and more. It's amazing what you can build into your literal. Reflex reaction, right? Uh, like just from just from having taken the class once, I would hope that you would already think like it's hard not to listen to someone when they're starting a scene mm-hmm. because they're potentially because you recognize it's too easy, it's too clear a lesson not to absorb that they're potentially telling me what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, and then when you recognize, oh, that's clearly an absurdity. Yeah. And now I know what to do. I know what to do without having to think about it. Right. It's just like it's, I say in class. Like at some point, someone we all had that ex- that first experience when someone said, uh, "Yes, and you got a yes, and you don't argue a yes, and because if you agree, you move forward. You're arguing tends to stop things. And I remember we all had that moment at some point in our lives. We're like, "Wow, yes, and <laughs> it's awesome. And it is a great, beautiful, simple rule." Uh, That you don't think about anymore. Yeah. You don't get on stage and think, I have to yes and what I just heard. You just do it. You build it into your understanding. I've come up with a whole boatload of other rules that can just be built into your reaction. Right. Uh, It's not about, and again, it's just your reaction. Ultimately, it's going to be you in that moment reacting. Because you you still have to be in the moment, believe you're there, uh, and react. I was thinking like, because if you try and think on stage, this thing I say in class: if you catch yourself thinking on stage, you probably just caught yourself sucking.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I love it. Uh, it's such a fun. It's such a fun little method there. Uh, so yeah, you 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 have this way you break down scenes into component parts. What? No, just like it's a such
1: a fun little method.
0: It,
1: it is. I, mean, I, guess, I, 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 I know you meant nothing but good, but it also just sounds like, if, a, like a condescending. Yeah, oh, It's no, no. Such a cute little method you have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, uh, I didn't mean it that way. I mean, uh, but, uh, but
0: but but uh, there. Is, I mean, there is something to uh, it. Feeling um, uh, like like I don't feel like I would be uh, good at it. Uh, had I not had uh, other improv experience like I feel like I'd be pretty bad uh, at, <coughs> at doing that or like pulling that off Does that you know what I mean like you you talk about you know you talk about a lot about like setting up the scenes and getting it going uh, which is you know uh, it's helpful but there is the whole there is the thing of like bringing stuff to it and continuing scenes pushing it forward uh, that doesn't that doesn't feel like your emphasis you know what I mean Uh,
1: it's not, it's not really my emphasis, although more and more, like, a couple things, sort of questions, I think, evoked by what you just said. Uh, I don't generally take true beginners. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think my class is best for people who've had some improv training, uh, and get to a place where they're frustrated. Yeah. Uh, my class tends to clear the fog. Uh... What was the other thing? I forget the other thing. All right, there are a couple things in there though. <laughs> if we get back to it, please interrupt. Yeah. Um, uh,
0: yeah. Okay. So yeah. So you don't take true beginners. Uh, so so then
1: I guess I well, guess the, the, the other thing never. was uh, how to push forward, mm-hmm. push through in the scene. Right. How to get further in the scene. Right. Uh, and the more. I've been thinking about that lately, and it really is just again my understanding evolving. Uh, it's that first ten seconds. If you, if you, it's it's not about recognizing game, because I believe game is inherent and almost predefined uh, to every scene. Here's some math that might be disturbing for you. Uh, in every straight absurd scene, the game is that one person is straight and the other person is absurd. Right. That's the basic rule of. the of the game. it's right. the details are going to change every time, it's going to make the possibilities infinite. Uh, but the basic underlying rule is that, that is the game. So the game is already there. So you don't look for the game, you look for the person to play. So who's the person I'm supposed to be playing? So in the first five to ten seconds, I'm supposed to, I'm the straight person or I'm the absurd person, and that's just the beginning. It's like, alright, so who is it? Who's doing that? Yeah. I have to become them. And it's not just the thing they're doing, it's who are they? If you, have, if you know who they are, then you have a larger room to play around in. Right. Most people tend to just overfocus on the thing they're doing. Yeah. And they keep doing the thing, and that's why the scene burns out. Yeah. Because they don't get the person. Because once they realize, oh, it's this person. Yeah. That's a whole person. That person can do other things and you know, can change around in the scene. Right. Uh,
0: One really good example we had of that in the class is somebody was, came back it was like a scene somebody's coming back to an apartment after a date and they were a, a gun nut and they had a lot of guns uh, and they were focused very much on the guns and they're playing with them and using them whatever uh, and then after that scene you kind of go like yeah but like that's there's more to that person like a gun nut has I that dimensions scene. and uh, has even you know even uh, gun nut dimensions right, like, what yeah. are those? Not who mean, is this guy? He's a survivalist
1: not, he's yeah. one of these guys who has a bunker he's yeah. one of these guys who's probably yeah. racist he's yeah. probably southern <laughs> yeah uh, there's my bigotry so take uh, that gun people <laughs> 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 but yeah, I mean, yeah, you think I mean, then there, there are different characters that could be that, but you want to find the full character right. to play, and that goes back to the idea of what's evoked. Yeah, right? a guy who's got a lot of guns, what's evoked is gun nut, yeah. uh, a survivalist, uh, one of those uh, cultish type people. It's a guy who's got a ranch somewhere uh, <laughs> where he keeps kids in the basement or something. I mean, it's like sure. that's all, you, you know, know, gun nuts. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's so funny to me in improvisation, like. it's not that I'm coming up with that it's that is in the general consciousness right right. you do talk a lot about that everyone in the audience is thinking a lot of times what I'm doing on stage is just the simplest thing at the top of the scene someone will tell you something and it's what what most people are missing is the simple thing Mm -hmm. the simple thing that they told you to do the simple person you're supposed to be right now because that's what the audience wants Mm -hmm. and that goes back to when I say you give the audience what they want and then you fuck with them right Right? But first, you give them what they want. Uh, like if someone basically says, you're a redneck, and then the audience looks over at me expecting to see a redneck. Mm-hmm. Now, I can choose not to give them that, mm-hmm. but then I have to find a different way to satisfy them because I'm, I'm dissatisfying them by not giving them what they wanted. Right. So, so all I have to do initially is basically go, yeah, man, I'm a redneck. Right. And then the audience is kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, he, he is. He is and then I can just yeah I'm a redneck so I'm, I still think Plato's full of shit yeah right so he's a redneck but he's arguing about floss right right uh, whereas so if you did it here's what you want here's what you don't expect right
0: um, yeah I th- uh, that's yeah The huge thing is part, part of that I think is like a huge thing is for improv to be funny or successful in any way is like you, people have to come together on an idea so like when people uh, throw you out, throw out uh, uh, an accusation like you're a redneck uh, then it has to come together by the other person fulfilling that uh, and uh, so, like that's how that's funny, and then, but but it's also boring, kind of instantly. Like, yep, that's it. Now we know. Uh, so it's the kind of thing of like complicating it and furthering it or expanding it, right? Is that kind of?
1: Yeah, to, to me, I think it's 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 sort of like it's it's related to the way I see like what grounding a scene is. Yeah. Right. To me, grounding a scene was a term that I never knew what it meant. For years, because all all it ever meant to me was—I guess they mean be more real. Yeah. I used to actually look earthy. I don't know what what grounding the scene. Yeah. Uh, But I I think it just meant be more real, Uh, and to me, that's not what it means to me. Uh, I think I consider a scene grounded when it does something that the that enables the audience to relax.
0: Doesn't. Okay. Can you
1: basically yes, and it's it's simple things like basically like man, you are such a redneck. What did you mean? There ain't no redneck. Yeah. The audience sees a redneck and they go, ah, they mm-hmm. relax. They, Here's a redneck. I'll buy in. I'm relaxed. Yeah. Uh, if I play an, an archetypical character, I'm mm-hmm. an old man sitting in the park feeding popcorn to the squirrels. I was in the war. Mm-hmm. Now you say something like that and the audience goes, ah, an old man. I recognize him. Mm-hmm. I recognize this archetype. I relax. I watch. Mm-hmm. It's when you confuse the audience. When you put something out there that they don't recognize, uh, like that thing I always do in class of, dude, I shit your bed. Yeah. Uh, which, like, if, if, if I start a scene by going, dude, I shit your bed. Yeah. Or if someone starts a scene going, dude, I shit your bed, and, 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 and I reply, thanks, man, because it's Tuesday. I don't want that band to become, because there'll be trouble. Right. The audience looks at that and goes, what, what the hell is fuck going is on? Yeah. That <laughs> scene is not grounded. They're yeah. not relaxed. Yeah. They're unable to relax. And now they're thinking about that more than they're paying attention to your scene. Right. Uh, so you have to explain that to the point where you enable them to relax.
0: That's a super interesting way of looking at grounding, of just finding – it's it's connecting the audience to the scene. It's like – it's like lit. yeah, it's – oh, that's, that's – oh, God, you're so insightful, and I love it uh, – <laughs> of just getting into that – yeah, because gr- grounding it into the reality or whatever, it's just it's just them being able to understand what's going on. So, yeah. like, and one of the one of the things you talked about in grounding, and I remember really liking too, was um, uh, an absurd character, a way for an absurd character to ground a scene. and uh, Correct me if I misquote you again. Uh, is to is to have their absurdity come from a place uh, that that an audience can empathize or understand. Like, uh, like that, like even that little Dell quote that you said. Like that that woman's. Uh, Beautiful enough to murder, or whatever. Uh, even that, like, is like, <clears throat> a, like a place that you can sort of understand that terribleness.
1: That well, yeah, you mean? want it because, like, just doing a random absurdity mm-hmm. with no explanation of why it's happening, and you're unable to play a character. Because sometimes, like, like if 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 if, if I do the scene just dryly of like, you know, hey Pete, you want to screw this pig I bought? Yeah, sounds like a good idea. Let's screw that pig. Yeah. Really, you want it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I'll go get some condoms. You you want to use condoms or not? I don't know. People are watching that going, what the hell is going on? Why why do these two guys why to screw that pig yeah. but at the same time Robin's like guess what Curtis? I found me a screwing pig yeah. woohoo yeah, I found him that now uh, the audience sees a couple of you know they're red hicks a couple of hillbillies <laughs> yes. out screwing a pig and they're like ah well there you go that's, that's why they because they're hillbillies that's what they do and they screw pigs <laughs> yeah uh, but basically and that's the that enables even on that you know garbage idea that enables them to go oh okay I guess, that's what's going on yeah uh because I'm playing the character that would do that thing, mm-hmm. and, and and whenever you're given an absurd thing to do, you ought to be thinking who would do this. Yeah, you don't just do it without playing the character that's been evoked. Yeah, uh, some are easy, some are more subtle, some have to be built very quickly at the top of the scene. Yeah, uh, like there's one I ran across ran across in class. You know, you know, dude, you're making too many cakes.
0: Yeah,
1: it's like all right, that does not tell me to be a redneck or. You know, an old man or a, or any other archetypical character it's like I'm making too many cakes so yeah. I, I gotta build this guy real quick So the first thing that I do in reaction is I, I'm antsy yeah. because I'm doing something too much yeah. and while, oh, oh I'm antsy so I'm just aware of my own thing I'm antsy while it feels like I'm jacked up on something I am. I'm cracked up. I'm on fucking crack right now. And that's why I'm making all these fucking cakes. And why am I on crack? Because I'm, I fucking hate my life. Yeah. I hate my, I got a wife and two kids that I can't fucking support. And I'm fucking back off the wagon and I'm on crack. And now I have a whole character to play. Right. Right? Based off of, you know, dude you're making too many cakes. Right. Uh, and you can find that quickly. Yeah. he's uh, got you know, what's the ba- what's the first thing that is a vote? Well, he's, he's antsy. Yeah.
0: Uh it sound it's Going back real quick too about what things evoke, and then even that, it's um, it sounds like it, I think that this new thing that I've been thinking about a lot is um, it's important to expand what's happening. Um, that, that's that's my new theory, pet theory, and I haven't fully worked it out. But it's uh, it's like yeah, t- taking antsy uh, and going more with it because what uh, a poorer improviser would do was play antsy only. Uh, and you'd stick with Antsy and like, or like, or uh, making too many cakes. Like that would be the whole scene. It's like, oh, I'm still making cakes. I'm still making cakes. I'm still yeah, making cakes. And, 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 that's, and that's what, what I call not.
1: the thing you're given. Right. Right. That's the that's the thing. Yeah. And you're always well, well, you're looking for the character you're given, right? When well, you're not given a character, you're given a thing that doesn't immediately give you a character. Right. You basically sort of question that thing as you're doing it until you find out you're who. Mm-hmm. Who is the guy doing this? Yeah. Right. Very quickly. A guy who's making too many cakes to me winds up being an anti-guy who's on crack who hates his life because his fucking got a, a mortgage he can't pay and he hates his fucking home. Right. Uh, now that's a full character. Right. Right. I can. He can go different places. He's got a thousand directions to go. in. right. Yeah. So you're looking for who's doing it. Yeah. Uh, and then s- sometimes who's doing it makes you wonder why. Yeah. I kind of get. Why he's doing, but you know, and it's if some don't evoke the question why, some do. Yeah. But when a question's evoked at that stage, it has to be answered. Right. Otherwise, part of the audience mind and part of your mind is thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're unable to relax. To me, it's like I, I always enjoyed like I think it was Plato's definition or the beginning of Plato's definition of rhetoric, and the, I think it was the Gorgias, uh, where it basically what's what's rhetoric? It's like it's a it's an activity. I mean, it's an activity. It's an acti- What kind of activity? It's an activity that produces pleasure. It's like really breaking it down to just like b- before you can fuck with me at all. Yeah, I've got this down to its most simple, <laughs> basic uh, thing, uh, and to me that's kind of like you know when you're going after a character. It's like, what's the simple thing? Mm-hmm. What's the what is you know who would be doing this? Why would they be doing it? Yes. Uh, Sometimes it's the question: Is it evoked? But when it's evoked, it has to be answered.
0: Okay, uh, digesting that. Uh, okay, that's really uh, yeah. That that's the other thing too that uh, you focused on uh, much more than I expected after hearing what the class was about. Too is um, character, uh, and and maybe maybe I just felt that focus more because that's not my strong suit. Um, but you do spend a lot of time on going. Uh, yeah, like who is this guy doing that? Uh, who is this guy who's straight manning? Who is the guy who's being absurd uh, for the for the straight absurd uh, scenario? Um, and I, I, well, yeah, simple question: why why is that why why is that so
1: important? Do you feel like ultimately it's a, it's a human exploration, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're we're expressing ourselves yeah. through this you know medium, uh, and the people we're playing to. It's, it's not just a puzzle. It's like we're, we're commenting on people, we're, we're exploring our understanding of humanity, and you do that through understanding people. You want to play the people, not just the, you know, if, if, you, if you take a look at the thing someone does, you want to understand why they do it. You have to understand the person. So you start exploring the person. Uh, for example, you take that kid in North Korea. Uh, Jim? What is
0: it? Jim <laughs> like, was it? Kim Jong Un? Jim. Kim <laughs> Jo un whatever.
1: <laughs> Kim Jong uh, Un. Yeah. You know, like, you know, all, all the crazy shit he's doing. But then when I think about that, like look at look at how this kid came into the world. Yeah. He was born basically to be him. Raised his entire life to be him. Yeah. I mean, the way he is mind fucked is just astr. It's got to be astronomical. I'd love the idea of just, you know, I would love to know all the ins and outs of just how he was made the way he is. Yeah. Uh, I I Also, I enjoy that that basic understanding of all character uh, is that everyone in the world, every character is the product uh, of where they come from, basically how they're brought up, and the events of their life. Right. It's a simple way to look at every character. Someone behaves a certain way, Either because they were taught to, when they were young, or because something happened to them that made them that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every behavior can be seen as a reflection off that. Mm-hmm. It's, a good, it's, an, it's, a, it's an interesting way to explore and understand behavior. Yeah. So you, and then,
0: and then also with that, you have like uh, things, things you say that kind of like to kind of get into character and stuff, one, one of the things that I found really interesting and, and simultaneously very hard uh, was you, you said, talked about uh, absurd characters not needing to look at their scene partner a lot. Uh, can you talk about that briefly, if you don't
1: mind? Oh, sure. Well, the basic, in a, in a straight absurd, the primary job of the absurd is to be the absurd. Right. To do it more, to give the straight person more things to call out. Uh, the straight person is always basically going to be in, in, in an argumentative pose, almost always. Uh, so they're always going to be negative and argumentative and attacking. Uh, so the absurd person should try to avoid engaging the attack. Because the right. general truth of don't argue on stage still holds true. Uh, so the, the, the way you avoid that argument is the absurd person just does not engage the argument. Right. Uh, they just continue the absurdity, mm-hmm. showing us who this person is. Uh, so it's more important for someone playing absurd to not focus on the straight person. When, I, when I'm playing an absurd, I listen opportunistically. Right. I still hear everything, uh, but I'm, I only use what's useful to me. Right. Uh, if it's not useful to me, I skip it and I go on to something else. The opposite is true of the straight man. The straight man can't let anything, shouldn't let anything slip by. Yeah. Uh, call attention to everything. I was, I was going to kick out of the old thing, like, on stage when improvisers hear something that was like a misspeak or kind of a screw-up in lines... And they literally think, well, the audience probably didn't catch that. Yeah. Because the audience, you know, all they did was pay money to sit there and do nothing but watch everything you're doing uh, critically. <laughs> yeah. And not uh, only the, that. Without the distraction of having to be on stage playing.
0: And not only that, there's, you know, 50 to 100 of them who are laser focused on every word. So
1: it's like, right. even if even if a couple didn't hear it, a whole bunch more did. right? Yeah. So you to, that's why you, you use everything. Yeah, everything that happens on stage to me is part of what's happening, and it's fair game.
0: Yeah. Okay, I like it. Um, the the thing that I uh, that I remember, I, I, I felt like it was hard because uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of my, my training too was just uh, building off of the last stuff. Uh, but uh, but also like it's easy it's easy to. Uh, I feel like it's easy to get generally absurd in that way uh, and maybe that's just from my uh, like I said like my my weakness in character in general uh, but it's easy to go like oh I'm just being absurd like you know oh, I murdered somebody I'm crazy like it's just to, you know to want to veer off into nothing if you're not grounding it back to what the scene's about or like the attack or or like you know what the straight person's offering no
1: that's because you're not playing your character
0: I know you said that a thousand times. Well, that's, that's what it is. You're doing the
1: thing. Yeah. You're doing the general absurd thing and you're inventing other things. And, and, and that's a skill. Uh, and, you, you, and ultimately that mental training will be useful, but you have to be able to back off it to get the person you're playing. Because yeah. uh, if what's going to happen, as I said earlier, and as you're probably leading to describing again, is you eventually run out. Yeah, uh, eventually just Eventually, like, it runs out because you were just chasing the thing and you never found the person that was doing it. Right. Because I was thinking of it classically like like a drunk. If a, if a, if a guy's playing a drunk and he's yelling. Mm-hmm. And so, stop yelling, man, you're drunk. Oh, I'm yelling and I'm drunk? All right, that's my thing. And so I just keep yelling and I keep being drunk. Mm-hmm. And I keep yelling and I keep being drunk. And everything I say is yelling and drunk. Right. That's going to get old, mm-hmm. right? And it, it fails to recognize the simple truth that a drunk moves around emotionally. A drunk is a person. So this is a person who's drunk and and they're drunk for some reason, right? Uh, and we can play with the reason or not, but even just the general truth of a drunk, just, just recognizing that it's a drunk means they're gonna get sad, mm-hmm. they're gonna get angry, they're gonna be happy, they're, you know, they're gonna move around emotionally because drunks do that. Uh, so if you don't even recognize the simple truth that you're the drunk, you're just gonna keep yelling. Yeah. That's the first thing. Yeah, uh, you want to find the character who's doing it. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's it. In, that's interesting that
0: you talk, uh, and and that goes back to kind of what you said too of being able to, uh, like, character being able to play stuff uh, in more than just that one thing. Expand like the, the thing that I said, expanding or just having more directions to go. Whether it's the mortgage or the the kids or the the cakes or the thing that was mentioned, uh, you have a you have a few directions to go, and it can be. Uh, Uh, in-depth scene that continues, as opposed to, uh, I'm
1: making cakes. Right. Right. Just keep making cakes. I'm making a lot of cakes. Yeah, I am. Sure I am. I'm making cakes. Look at me. I'm making cakes really fast. Right. And I never find, well, who's, who's doing it or why he's doing it or what else is going on with this guy.
0: Right. And it's tough to be clever and make jokes too. Like you'll, you'll run out of jokes. Like, uh, making jokes out of, uh, the type of scene that you're doing. Like,
1: Yeah. Well, I, I was thought it's because there are some people who are. I mean, there are some players who are really clever. I yeah. mean, I've seen some players who can sustain entire scenes uh, without ever getting into character, just because they're very clever, very funny, very fast. Right. And what I always say to people who sort of like aspire to be that, or they use that as a justification to, I don't have to play my characters. Right. It's like, all right, we'll take two other players who are equally as fast uh, at coming up with stuff like that. But these two players also play their characters. Right. They're going to blow those other two players off the stage every time. Right. Because because it's the simple math of that. It's like well it's all that plus more.
0: Right. Ah, making me feel bad about not playing character again, Miles. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm. It's back at the beginning of the year. Um, also, uh, what, what time do you have to get out here real quick? I want to make
1: sure. Uh, so. I have class at seven, so I should leave here. I don't know. It's only 5.35. Just
0: want to make sure we're doing okay.
1: Um, also, uh,
0: you talked to, uh, I mean, fuck, I'm realizing more and more this is coming to the same thing. You said uh, peas in the pod. You're you're careful about making them not too similar, uh, what, besides also saying you hate the term peas in the <coughs> pod, but not making them too similar because uh, you have to invent more. And that com- I think that sounds a lot like what you're saying. It's like uh, ha- having a, a, a relationship that has depth as opposed to just being mirrors of each other. And
1: I just find it more interesting. Uh because the, the simple truth of that, peas in a pod, which basically is, is just a, it's just as, I, I don't like that name. Uh, what it is, it's a character mirror. I'm yeah. mirroring the other character. I see an old man, I'm also playing an old man. Right. Right? Uh, so we have two old men. One guy is, is talking about the war. I can join him and also be talking about the war. We were both in the war. Right. Right. Uh, but then we're both focusing on the same thing, and we're both going to have to keep adding to the same thing. Uh, I like to be, I like to make myself something, like, oh, yes, I, I'm in the character mirror, we're both old men, you were in the war, but I'm more of a ladies' man, mm-hmm. right? So we have two different type of old men. Right. I think they feed each other better, and they feed off each other better. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, they're both two different archetypes. Right. Right. Uh, and ultimately it's like in, like in most scenes where you are with two people that are very similar you have that feeling that you're waiting for where's the difference yeah. where's the thing that separates them where's the where's the tension where's the conflict in this scene I used to get a kick out of it yeah it's the whole there was so much of that that went on I'm not sure if it still goes around that much They're like you can't have conflict or avoid conflict mm-hmm. yeah, but, but I was like comedy is conflict right it's like there's no comedic moment that is that, that where something isn't at odds with something right uh, even if it's like the two people on stage at odds with the audience, or the audience at odds with an idea, or th- there's always conflict at some level somewhere. Right. Otherwise, there's no comedy. It's um, like a frustrated expectation, a surprise—that's conflict. Uh, yeah. But you get it. Uh, the
0: con- the conflict again uh, is that, to me, the, the conflict that they're trying to avoid in it. When we say like don't argue on the scene it is is the type that uh, is is tough to describe or like gets that the problem is like when people uh, argue and stay locked in
1: a thing well, a, that's a the, small that's thing. thing yeah that's the whole like people learn yes and mm-hmm. uh, and yes and like I said it's a great rule very simple rule uh, it's a universal rule yeah uh, it's there because the idea was when you argue your scene grinds to a halt it right. doesn't move forward oh so the idea is to move forward. Right. Because we've all seen a scene that was an argument that moved forward and was funny. Right. Right. So the idea isn't to not argue. The idea is to always move forward. Right. The fact is, still remains true that argument tends to stop the scene. Right. But if you're aware of the fact that you, could, you just need to move forward, you can argue all you want. Right. Because uh, the idea of yes and isn't really about adding. It's sort of like it's hot out. Yes, and I brought lemonade. Yes, and I made a pizza. Yes, if you keep doing that, you will eventually pile enough shit on stage and have some kind of scene. Uh, it's a to me. Yes, and is about where's the agreement, uh, and the agreement can also extend to scene type. Mm-hmm. When a scene starts, like I always think of the example of like if, if this is here's an example of like if if if, if, if I start a scene, I go man, I can't believe you screwed my girlfriend. What well, you the worst friend in the world, mm-hmm. right? And the guy replied, "Well, you screwed my girlfriend." Which to me is like, "All right, now he's making me wrong too." Right. Right. Uh, now we have a double serve. We don't have characters. It's going to be tricky. To yeah. me, I will literally negate that offering because uh, to me, since I'm the first person who started, since I, since I started the scene, I said, "You screwed my girlfriend. You screwed mine." I'm like, "No, I didn't. You don't have a girlfriend. You've never had a You've never had a girlfriend." Right. Yeah. Well, whatever. You would if I had one. No, I wouldn't. Right. Yeah. Basically the audience wants him to be an asshole they want me to be the other guy. Right. Uh, so it's about where's the agreement in the scene? Right. Where's the established agreement? And if a line flies in the face of that agreement, I will negate it. Right. I will change it to something that that goes with the agreement. Right. I think I said in class, I was like, that's the Monty Python scene. I'm, I'm here to buy an argument. Because it seems to break every improv rule in the book. Sure. I'm here to buy an argument. No, I guess I Well, I see what you're doing. Uh, yeah. Where that is really just, it's a simple it's actually it's a combination of an, an an alternate reality scene because no one does that, Right. but it's also just a simple, straight, absurd scene where the guy there to buy the argument is getting screwed.
0: Right. Uh, the agree the that that thing I remember feeling like oh this is a dangerously powerful idea because uh, yeah you're talking about like uh, oh, yeah. disagreeing that's
1: the kind of thing because negating certain stuff because there's the difference there's a, a difference between. Negating something in support of an established agreement. Right. You know, when was that agreement established and how thoroughly was it established? Uh, And just denying someone's stuff. Right. Yeah. So it's a dangerous tool to give a lot of players.
0: It is. uh, And I see it uh, used recklessly plenty uh, inside and outside the workshop. Uh, But it's the thing. But it is is really powerful because if you get into uh, the right scenario, think about it in the right way, uh, uh, it can be... The the best type of uh, move, if you deny somebody, because it's that thing. It's almost like a a little bit of a higher level type of improv in that it's always agreement, whatever. Everybody's always agreeing, but if you throw in a no that makes sense, or a no to somebody thing that makes a lot of sense to what's happened, it's 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 surprising and different and really fun. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think I've only used it like three times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared I'm scared because uh, as soon as you said that I'm like I'm going to
1: use this wrong well it's, sure. it's one of those things where it's like it's some ideas are fun to yes and uh, some ideas need to be called out there are moments in the scenes when someone says something it just it's like alright I could use my improv skill to bend the scene and follow the wrong path that has just been directed down right. in the hopes of exploring and possibly finding something wonderful or I can correct what I perceive to be something that flies in the face of what we've already established as our agreement, mm-hmm. uh, and move forward with this exploration. Right. Uh, so it's, it's 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 a judgment call.
0: It's tough, uh, and that and that bending of the reality too. That that does, you know, to go back to your thing of grounding. It makes it a more complicated scene too. To go like, uh, to go like, yeah, uh, you fucked my girlfriend. Well, you know, you fucked my girlfriend. Like it's it to go a few steps onto that and to create a thing that makes sense and like go back to like okay so they both screwed each other's girlfriend like it's a few steps further down the line until that makes any you know
1: right well the audience is basically you've you've passed on the initial agreement Mm -hmm. you've passed on the initial offering uh, by not agreeing with it by by defensively which I always say don't defend yourselves just accept your attack Uh, by defending yourself and reattacking the other guy it's something like that other example I, I use sometimes like some guys start to see them going, I'm a crazy clown juggling fireball chickens and the audience <laughs> looks at that and then they look across the stage to the other guy Yeah. and if the other guy goes I'm a crazy clown too juggling fireball chickens then the audience goes alright what yeah right but if the, if the first guy goes then the audience looks over and basically there's a guy sitting there goes get the hell off my porch Yeah. then the audience is like yeah because why is he juggling things <laughs> it doesn't make any fucking sense right. yeah, yeah. Uh, they agree with that the straight man in the scene is also what automatically grounds every straight up sitcom scene yeah. because the straight man is basically the audience pers- basically the audience's perspective mm-hmm. of the thing that's going wrong. Right. Uh, and if you
0: yeah, if you if you do that if you do straight manning right, uh, you you can let other people get away with a lot of stuff and be weird uh, and not and it not seem too far off the rails. But like once you one but like once you you know, you go back to the previous agreement, once your straight man starts losing credibility, uh, or, like, he starts, you know, a straight man starts doing a few weird moves. Right. Or, like, uh, oh, it's like, well, uh, something.
1: Yeah, I don't trust him what's anymore. What's happening? Like, you're yeah, doing really kind of, I don't trust him anymore. He's also wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that, and that, but that's, but I mean, that that's tough, too, because, you know, uh, almost in the nature of making everything up, uh, it, well, if you do it, if you do it long enough, you're going, I feel like you can, you're more prone to failure. You know what I mean? Like, you keep, you keep on flipping, flipping the coin. Uh, in a sense, and it's gonna—it's not always gonna come up your way. That's not entirely accurate. It's a bad I, analogy, but I'm fine. I'm not with sure it you're accurate. talking about. Uh, if you like, if you're in, uh, if you're going forward in a scene, uh, like say, say you're doing uh, uh, for the uh, a theoretical scene where both of you are trying to be straight mm-hmm. uh, for as long as possible. Uh, if you keep on doing it for long enough, somebody is going to uh, become uh, do something absurd, right?
1: right? Well, yeah, I it. That's, that's the idea. Going back to like. The, the the truth in comedy. One of one of the truths in comedy uh, is that if you just sort of set a scene and don't try and be funny, mm-hmm. just sort of establish a relationship, our our human nature will eventually make one person first misspeak or say something wrong or reveal something about themselves that we perceive differently. Right, and that becomes. The thing that pricks our ear, the thing that says, "All right, that." Let's focus on that. Yeah. And you surround that, and that becomes the game of that scene. That becomes that exploration. Right. Uh, so, the sort of, the truth. The truth in comedy, in that way, is that we're all basically fucked at some level. And it, true, if you, yeah. you put us on a stage, and we try not, and we try to show that we're not, well, we eventually will reveal, reveal ourselves to be screwed anyway. Right. Uh, that can take a long time, though. It can. Yeah. Uh, I, I tend to like try and make it happen faster. Like, let's cut to something. Let's get to something. Right. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, then
0: okay. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll start winding down here. One of the other thing. The one thing. Go to uh, one of the things that you mentioned was one of my favorite things. I think I've ever heard you say, uh, and that was you, when you play with people, you ask them not to wait for you, uh, which I find uh, super helpful in a way that uh, I was surprised at that a lot of times if you're waiting for somebody to catch on board or get on board with you or alternatively you're not getting on board somebody and they're really slowing down the scene to do it uh it causes uh uh, an unnecessary friction and slowness whereas i feel like a lot of times if you get people to and i've done this and i've noticed this more recently if you uh keep on firing ahead as if uh the, the people got it or uh uh are on board uh more often than not, they'll get themselves on board or you'll choose to get on board because you're like, well, the shit, I'm not going to be sitting here alone doing whatever the hell I was doing. I'm going to start playing. Right. Uh, and that that's just one of my favorite things.
1: Yeah, I, I, I say that because it was actually a lesson I learned when like, like when me and Dan Baccarol did the, the first two-person in Chicago called mm-hmm. Zumpf. One of the problems we had initially uh, was that Dan was like deferring to me. Yeah. Dan was like waiting for me to, to do more. And it was killing me. Yeah. Uh, and it was killing the show. Yeah. Uh, and eventually, I think it was Noah who got on him about it. And just basically, eventually, when when he stopped waiting for me, the show took off. Right. Uh, but what I mean when I tell him like this, because I, I generally I don't have ideas a lot. Uh, when I start seeing the, the ideas I come up with come come in a flow and happen instantly in moments, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't see them coming off and out I, just, I know they're going to be there but you know, sometimes they're not and if the other guy is just waiting for me to get to my next idea mm-hmm. like, look I don't have an idea just go Yeah. You know, wherever you go I'm going to be there just, right. so just go have fun Right. because uh, if, if he's waiting that means he's thinking Right. and he's taking himself out of the show a little bit Right. Uh, whereas all the shows I've done over there like the, the, the recent ones with the one night stand mm-hmm. they've all been fun I did one with a girl who's never done it before yeah was, I thought it was she was great. She's she basically she'd never been fraud before except maybe a couple games in a jam or something. Sure. And her friends put her name in the hat and she got drawn. And she was all game and smiles. And she got up and she you know she she did a half hour piece with me. Yeah. Multiple stories, crazy invention. She you know she she screwed up a few you know rules here and there, but sure. all in all she held her shit and it was yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, I was like the story like I used to do a similar thing in Chicago in the old improv jam uh, a game called Anyone Can Be Funny Right and I'd get I'd try and find an audience member who was like someone's mother or someone who didn't want to be on the stage uh, and I'd get them to come up on the stage and I'd do like a five minute scene with them it was a long scene for some people Yeah uh, and it always worked because all an audience member does who doesn't want to be on the stage is listen and say what they would say Right and uh, Was occasionally someone would lie and get up on stage because they they wanted to play with me and they weren't an audience member, uh, and you could spot it in the first 10 seconds would say, all right, I've been played because this guy's a level one fucking somewhere. Yeah. Because he knows just enough to screw up this scene.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh... The, also on that the people just going to I think that also speaks to a little bit of trust uh, in that like uh, trust, trust that I'll get on get on board or like I'll find a way into it uh, and
1: and uh, worry it's we like, already okay. have all the skills necessary to do this yeah. what we do is we get in front of ourselves like that thing I just said mm. I did better scenes with people who didn't want to be on stage than with someone who really wanted to be on stage right right because they were just trusting their own reaction right. and playing.
0: Well, that's all they had,
1: literally all they right. had. Right, well, yeah. so <laughs> yeah, they didn't put a bunch of bullshit between them and their own honest reaction. Right. Uh, when people start learning improv, they start, yeah, they start thinking different things, thinking all these crazy different things, and they lose touch with what they already know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so much of it, I mean, we all have that inherently. Yeah, We're all aware of what is evoked by a word, or what is uh, evoked, yeah, you know, by a character or by a situation, uh, and we'll, what beginning improvisers tend to do is skip that. They try and skip that. Mm-hmm. They try and say, well, yeah, there's that, but then their brain thinks it because all our brains inherently think it, and they sort of ignore it. Well, yeah, but what's funny? Elephants are funny, so I'll, an ele- I'll, 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 you know, I'll do something with elephants, which has nothing to do with what was just evoked. Sure. Uh, whereas the beginning of scenes are simple yeah are really and you want to I call it being accurate at the top the top of the scene is not about being fast it's about being accurate and being simple right uh, if you can nail that and find your character then the scenes piece of cake
0: yeah and also also I feel like you advocated uh, a slower start to scenes uh, uh, at least for people who are learning it is the the uh, yeah. If you if you if you if you hear something, take a second to listen. If you got a character or a position or whatever, uh, I think one of the things you said people do wrong a lot is add information before they know what they're doing. Yeah, uh, well, they, they, they
1: have no idea what's going on, so, so they, they start just start inventing yeah, shit. Yeah, we'll just
0: add some stuff, and then that leads to confusing. Uh, so it, it does sound a weird, uh, in a way like you are advocating for a little bit like slower at the top, uh, because you can, you can go through it faster once you know what's happening.
1: Oh, yeah, well, at the top of the scene, someone starts a scene, and I don't know what they want me to do. Yeah. I generally won't do anything. Right. Uh, I'll keep myself in the scene. I'll say something simple. And some teachers might say, well, you're not adding. They're adding something. You, they offered to tell you something. You didn't add anything to it. Right. And I was like, well, that's because I'm working under the assumption that they have an idea. Yeah. They bothered to start the scene. I'm going to assume that they have an idea. If they don't, I will figure that out in a couple more lines, and then I'll go. Right. Uh, but right now, I'm going to honor the fact that they started the scene and try and support their idea. Yeah. Uh, and most of the time, you, you just you hear it. They, they say, like, oh, you, you want that. Got it. So you start doing it. Uh, so it doesn't have to take a long time. Yeah. Uh, I generally won't start adding or inventing until I know what they want, where they want me. And that all of that can happen in a second.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's a, it can it can occur very quickly at the top of the scene. Right. Sometimes it takes, you know, 15 seconds. Right. Right, depending on how slow someone wants to start. Right. I don't mind waiting.
0: Yeah. And then also, you know, too, just on that real quick, I don't think I... Uh, Audiences remember the end more than anything. And that's, you know, at the end of a scene uh, and the end of a show. I've been doing mono scenes and I I record all my shows. um, And some of the, even the really strong ones, I'm like, that was an amazing show. I'm like, yeah, we didn't do shit for the first five minutes. We paid a lot off in the end, you blow it up. But uh, you can, you can, the audiences remember the end of a scene or the end of a show a lot more than the beginning. So it's like, yeah, if you need to start slow to get to an agreement and get to a place that makes it okay, that's okay. But I think people... uh, have fear for one reason or another and go try to go fast into it uh, and they end up fucking themselves
1: oh, yeah, i think the old thing like an improv the sort of the idea of circling back of circling at the end of mm-hmm. basically you know, we're doing glasses with this you're just always the the old truth of you're looking to take the show out on a laugh yeah right because if the show goes out on a laugh then the audience thinks that's what it was meant to do right if the scene goes out, if you edit on the laugh, the audience thinks, "Well, they did what they were trying to do; they got there." Mm-hmm. That's why the, one of the worst things you can do to someone is they see gets a big laugh, wait a few beats afterward, and then make the edit because the audience is like, "Yay!" Oh, <laughs> I thought they made it, but apparently they didn't. Yeah, there's,
0: <laughs> there's nothing more. Tra- if you're seeing an indie show and you see like a really <laughs> a really big laugh, and you're like, "I think that's the edit," and then they go for a little bit more. And they're like, oh, shit, I guess we got to get out of this. They don't have anything. It's, it's always the most tragic. It would look like superstars. Um, one of the last, one of the other things, too, you said that I uh, I liked and could talk a little bit about was, like you said, some of the biggest mistakes you see in young improvisers uh, is trying to be funny, poor listening, and lack of confidence. Uh, can we talk a little bit about uh, some of those and like maybe ha- how that happens, how to uh, improve it? Try to be funny, poor listening, lack of confidence.
1: Lack of confidence. There there are three different things. Uh, Trying to be funny can be a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say about all that. I don't know. I mean, do you
0: you have thoughts
1: on, I mean... mean, There are different ways players try try to be funny. I mean, there's no no one way. It's just like Mm -hmm. when, when someone... You know at the top of the scene, they're, they're trying to make a joke or they're trying to get a laugh, mm-hmm. and they're not trying to be someone, right? On stage, we're being people, right? Uh, and it's, it's not about jokes, uh, it's about being someone. Uh, lack of confidence is one of the killers, just because so often, just getting better at improv is just being a little more confident, yeah? That's all it is. Uh, almost every major breakthrough or advancement that I made across the years, and I made a lot of them just because I stunk when I started, <laughs> uh, came in a moment where I was like, ah, fuck it, I'm never going to get this. Oh, look, there it is. Yeah. Basically, I said, yeah, f- you know, fuck this. And then it's like, all right. And, and once I stopped where it was like I'd done so much work, but it, I wasn't getting it. And then yeah. once I just said, you know, stop caring so much, it was there. Yeah. Uh, and just being more confident. I like, because I... I, I noticed things over the years like I noticed that, you know, that that's, I said I had some blurb on my site about you know great players never looked worried on stage they always looked relaxed they always looked like it, like they got it no matter what Yeah. and I was like were they always like that? I was like no at, at some point they decided to stop worrying Yeah. and it wasn't I realized years later it wasn't after they became great it was before they became great mm-hmm. at some point they said fuck it whatever happens is going to happen and then, they, and then it all happened uh, so th- th- I think the quote was: "Great players never look worried on stage." It's not that they became great and stopped worrying; they stopped worrying and then became great. Right. Uh, so that that goes toward confidence. Yeah. So to me, confidence on stage is like: Why be unconfident? It's like you're. It's, it's it's an exercise in failure. You're going to fail every time, no matter what. Uh, it's not like I don't. I have no. I, I'm not at risk up there. If the show goes well, if the show goes bad, it's not. It doesn't. I don't see it as an ultimate judgment on me. It's just a blip in my process. Yeah. Again, the process being lifelong and a show being thirty minutes on stage.
0: Right. Uh, yeah. One of the things you said too, uh, uh, the art of improv cannot be great because it's fleeting, but the process can be great. So yeah, it's like you're doing a show. A show goes away. A good show, bad show goes away. But I uh, can make the the long road of it.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think the process, like I see, you're talking about great art, like Hamlet, you know, Shakespeare, Mozart, that kind of stuff. Yeah, improv, an improv show can never be that because, by definition, it's here and gone. Yeah. But the process, the study of improvisation, the process, uh, can be, you know, as great or greater because the process, I think, is slowly going to change the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the way people, you know, perceive things, examine things, explore things, it's already spread. Like when, when I started doing long-form, there were two theaters in the world where you could basically study what I was studying, and they're right. both in Chicago. Now I can go to almost any major city in the world, and there's someone trying to do something with it. Uh, it's everywhere, and that's just in the past, you know, 25 years. Yeah, uh, It's gone from literally two theaters in Chicago to the world. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, that, That's like one of them disease movies.
0: <laughs> um, all right well I think uh, God, I think we covered a lot uh, is there anything else that you want to cover before we we could do the final little yeah, I, I think I, we did good
1: I, I didn't cover anything I can't think of anything can are going to come with an agenda what I, think I, I, have, I have no agenda uh, you got the
0: Milestroth workshops uh, you can check that out at M- Milestroth Improv M-
1: milesimprov.com milesimprov.com well, the show is running Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday now
0: that's great uh, and those are a lot of fun there's uh, there's so much Interesting weird stuff going on. Good I, I do love I, I I've seen uh, the, the Helen Keller improv. I'm just like wow that's insane and I love
1: it. That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was weird. I, I did it. I'm like, I'm like this is just weird. <laughs> not <laughs> <was> perfect. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, like yeah, it, I love the, 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 the I love the experimental yeah. mentality. It's like sure try it. Yeah, why not? See what that see what see what else is out there. Yeah, because it sh- it shouldn't be done.
0: Yeah yeah it's uh, it's a young art so why not uh, fuck with that um, alright last bit uh, it's a pearls of wisdom segment classic segment uh, uh, note or feedback that you got or a piece of advice that you feel like is important you kind of want to share with everybody it's going to be something you heard something you say a lot a mantra I don't know. you just find
1: everything silly yeah I do <laughs> so, 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 yeah, it's, I, I, I don't see what oh, here's, the, here's the thing I say it's like, there's no thing I say I say a bunch of things sure I say different things all the time yeah right. uh, as,
0: as most do <laughs> nope I got nothing <laughs> wow that's a first uh, alright Miles uh, well thank you very much for
1: coming on anything else you want to share a plug you, is that the third time you asked me to like, I'm just double checking I always said that before hey man I, you, you, you plug the workshop I got no pearls of wisdom alright well wow. I, I would plug this to Stephen Pearlstein blog is that what this is a blog or a podcast yeah I just revealed myself to be not internet savvy.
0: It's all right. You'll get there. Uh, We still got time. (laughs) All right, Miles,
1: thank you so much for coming on
0: the show. Pleasure. I'm glad you found it so silly. Alright, I hope you enjoyed that. That was Miles Strath. Check out his classes. A um, couple of quick show plugs for me. Saturday, July 20th, 10pm, Sticks Martin will be at The Local. Uh, Friday, July 26th, 7pm, Brandon and Stephen will be at the Neon Venus. Venus. Ooh, Venice. Uh, Friday, July 26th, 8pm, Brandon and Stephen also at the Neon Venice. Uh, Sunday, July 28th, 10.30pm, shit, Mountain is doing the Best Of show at iOS. Guys, I'm jazzed about that one. That's literally the only thing I can say about it is that I jazz it's gonna be so fun uh monday july 29th 10 p.m six martin will be at Cherry crush at the ios main stage and then saturday august 3rd 7 p.m six martin will be at minor league herald night at the clubhouse that's all my show plugs check them out go go see one of my shows uh why not um that's it i guess golden age of improv happy improvising be excellent to each other email me if you need a coach uh and uh and let's just dance the night away all right goodbye Hi. Hi! I'm Chad Westbrook. And I'm Nicholas Wagoner. And are you a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race? You should be. You very much should be. Come listen and subscribe to our podcast, How Is She Though? Where we recap every
1: episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. Come and get your daily dose of vitamin gay, honey. Oh, cr- oh, oh, cr-